This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good evening, everyone. I hope everyone had a wonderful Lagbalm experience in this Corona pandemic year. It's an honor and a pleasure to be here. Hashem, we were able to shave, but I'm looking forward to giving tonight's class. In the last six weeks, I've been receiving a lot of inquiries from people. I guess people have a lot more time on their hands, especially single people. Uh, and the kind of individuals that have been reaching out to me, besides what I'm used to, which is people that are Orthodox and modern Orthodox and yeshivish, there's been a, a very interesting surge of, uh, of uh, inquiries and interests from people who are not so much from the Orthodox background and who are seeking to find out more about how we date. And so as I work with them you know, as their mentor and guide, I start to explain to them how their previous past uh, relationships were not something that we do and not something that we're fond of in terms of physical intimacy and relationships. And then in the same time, I've been hearing from people in our camp that have stumbled. And so I thought that tonight would be a wonderful opportunity to discuss the difference between what happens when there is physical touch and what happens, what are the consequences of that and how that spoils the pot and how that re- eliminates objectivity in terms of your relationship. And just as an aside, anyone out there in the world who would like my help in relationships or dating or shalom bayis or would like help in getting a shidduch read in terms of shadchanas, and you need a shadchan or you need help in creating and putting together a top 10 list, I'd be delighted to help you. Reach out to me at 305-206-1916 from anywhere in the world. You'll make an appointment. Okay, here we go. Let's get into this tonight's discussion and contrast the differences in what's going on in the Western world or secular world versus how we do it in our in our world from the Torah perspective. Imagine yourself in the following situation. You and a stranger are having a heated argument. Tempers are rising and soon you're practically shouting at each other. Realizing things are getting out of hand, your opponent interjects, hold on, let's calm this thing down. It doesn't work. You're still upset at the guy. He or she leans forward, puts a hand on your arm and says, wait a minute. Suddenly, for some incredible reason, you feel powerless to continue screaming. The burst of anger and conflict before has been radically changed by that touch on your shoulder. Your anger abates, and you can see, perhaps even resentfully, to the suggestion. Now, imagine yourself at a checkout counter. You always dread entering this store because it takes so long to get out of there. Today is no exception. You've been waiting for what seems like an eternity to pay for your purchase and just go. Finally, your turn, your turn comes and you hand the slow-moving cashier your money. Usually, you have to pick up your change off the counter. But today, the cashier places the change in your hand. And for a brief moment, you feel the warmth of his hand or her hand on your hand. Outside afterwards, you're aware of something strange. Something is happening. For some reason, you're feeling more warmly towards this store than before. One more scene. You've just finished dining at a restaurant. The service has been incredibly slow. Your waiter, Dave, finally brings the bill. Hope you enjoyed the meal, he says with a smile and a parting pat on your shoulder. Watching him return to the kitchen, you feel a surge of generosity and leave a bigger tip than you had intended to give him because the service was slow. On your way out, you comment to the manager about how little waiters earn for working so hard. It all depends, he replies. Take that new guy, Dave. We don't know how he does it, but he pulls in at least 30% more in tips than anyone else. In each of these above-true incidents, researchers will say you're falling prey to one of the most subjective yet powerful forces in human relationships, touch. This is what touch can do to you. Notice, incidentally, not once was the contact sexual 
or even affectionate. Still, touch has such an undeniable effect on us. It awakens within you your warmth and receptivity. Where once, one minute, you're hostile towards a person, a man or woman, and if they touch you, it changes everything. It's subtle, but amazing. Whether it's conscious or unconscious toward the other person. It brought down the walls, leaving you feeling distinctly closer and more connected. It created a subtle bond. Touch could be called God's superglue for human relations. Take two clean surfaces and superglue. We'll immediately stick them together. God created touch between people to work the same way. Take two people unopposed to feeling closer to one another, and touch between them will do the trick. Mysteriously, in an instant, they feel closer. If even a simple touch can make this kind of impact, imagine something really good, coupled with a healthy dose of physical and personal attraction between a man and a woman. A little ripple of warm feelings can become an emotional tidal wave. Jewish mystical tradition teaches that Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, the first man and woman were created as one connected being and only one connected being and only later separated. Deep down in the recesses of their minds, we remember once having been one with one another. Essentially, all of us today, when we're single, we have this feeling in our subconscious that I'm connected to somebody. Just like Adam and Chava were initially connected as one unit. Now that we're separate and we're alone, we yearn to regain that original oneness. As Kabbalah, or mystical Jewish thought, teaches us, male and female are intended to illuminate together. Only when they're attached to one another are they called a light. God's message to us is simple. Togetherness is our natural state of being. Even if you're divorced, you yearn to marry again. And if you're single, you yearn for it. You may tell everyone, I love my single life, but deep down there's a feeling that you yearn to have that other half. That is when our energies are greatest because we have someone with us. As singles, no matter how many friends we have or how many parties we attend, we increasingly experience the ache of incompleteness. We just don't feel, as we say in Hebrew, shalem. We're not complete. The feeling that alone, we're just not shining. And that through having our mate with us, we will shine. Consequently, one of our strongest desires as singles is to experience that wholeness, the sense of coming home, of illumination, that comes from reuniting with our missing half. Yes, we've been told that singlehood is an interesting option as Western society wants to try to preach to us. In reality, there are even times in our lives when we're not even ready to date or to get connected with someone. Nevertheless, too many people have realized too late that passing up the opportunity to get married doesn't work as a lifelong choice. As much as some of us may try to deny it, humans have an irrepressible and a need to see closeness with one another, especially that special half of them. But here's the catch. Because you want to be close and physical contact makes you feel close, you're liable to believe that you are close. While in fact feeling close and being close are quite different. Feeling close does not mean you're actually close. Touch can skew your perception of reality to the point where you may mistake skin-to-skin contact for a heart-to-heart connection when that's totally sheker, it's a lie, leaving you with delusions of intimacy where no true intimacy actually exists. We'll get into that in a little later in the conversation. When we want something badly enough, we can fool ourselves into believing we have it, although we have, what we have is only superficial, similar to what we truly want. That's the spiritual explanation for the power of touch. But there's a more, another important connection to touch, a biophysiological one. And that is the following. Our bodies produce many hormones, chemicals that operate through the nervous system and affect our brains. 
One that gets a lot of press is the hormone called oxytocin. Oxytocin has been touted as the love hormone, but we'll call it the feeling bonded hormone. It's released by physical closeness and it makes us feel bonded to the person with whom we're experiencing closeness with. For example, when a woman gives birth, her body is flooded with oxytocin, making her bond with her newborn. When she nurses, waves of oxytocin strengthen this connection with her newborn baby, leaving her utterly in love with her baby. And that's the way Hashem wants it. You can see the divine wisdom here. If children are to survive, women have to care for their children. And they're more likely to do so if there's a strong bond between mother and child. Hashem or God also wants husbands and wives to stay together in the holy union that we call marriage. When a man and a woman are physically intimate, he makes sure oxytocin is right there performing its magic, making them feel at one and committed to each other. But intimacy is not necessary to start the chemical flow. Oxytocin is released by any form of physical closeness. Hugging will do it. So will holding hands do it. In fact, oxytocin is secreted even when people just touch. Oxytocin would be powerful enough if it only created a sense of bonding. But it does even more than that. It turns off skepticism. It turns off caution. It turns off aversion, which is really dangerous. And it turns on sociability. It turns on generosity. And most significantly, it turns on trust, giving it its nickname, the trust hormone. After inhaling oxytocin from a nasal spray, people even invest more money with strangers and donate larger amounts to unknown phone solicitors. In other words, under the influence of oxytocin, you can kiss your judgment goodbye. This makes such a serious proposition to oxytocin. Hence, leading psychiatrists tell us and advise women especially, don't let a guy hug you unless you plan to trust him because your objectivity will go out the window. Why is that warning specifically to women? That has to do with biological sex differences. Estrogen, the female sex hormone, increases oxytocin's effect. Testosterone, which is the male sex hormone, diminishes it. This oxytocin disparity is especially pronounced in early adolescence, when estrogen and testosterone levels are starting to soar in young boys and girls. Consequently, young teenage girls are dangerously vulnerable to the power of touch, and they'll bond and they'll trust and shelve judgment at the drop of a hat. Author Susan Kushner spells it out, girls should learn that bonding is as likely effect, is a likely effect of, phys- of physical intimacy, not necessarily a response to that. The feeling is, he's the only one for me, but the reality is, because we touched, I now feel as if he's the only one for me. It's touch that creates it, and not the consequence of it. Most young teenage boys, on the other hand, while greatly interested in females, have little ability to bond with them. Their hormones are leading them more towards conquest than towards actual desirable connection. What to a girl may feel like love may be a boy, to a boy be nothing more than another notch on his belt. So let's be very careful. As males and females mature and their hormones settle down, the gap between the realities narrows somewhat and their needs move closer. Most significantly, men become increasingly interested and capable of genuine connection with a woman, especially after marriage. When a man grows close to a woman, he feels protective of her, which triggers his attachment instinct. But married men may also have less testosterone than bachelors, allowing for a greater oxytocin response and therefore more intense bonding, which allows men to bond more with their wives and their partner after marriage. Nevertheless, oxytocin affects females more than males. Women ignore this reality at their peril and, and, and danger. Now, since in addition to bonding, 
Oxytocin shuts down judgment and creates feelings of trust. Physical involvement before marriage can be absolutely dangerous. It can leave you feeling connected to someone who's totally wrong for you. The danger is worse if Mr. Totally Long has no scruples whatsoever. So be careful. Wendy Shalit, an author, was in a store when she spotted a book called How to Succeed with Women. She said to herself, I knew I had to have this book. It was the handbook of the enemy. And we wanted to be up on his tactics. And in it she reports the male authors essentially counsel their readers to exploit the female oxytocin response to their advantage. For a female, in other words, touch is subliminally manipulative. The problem, of course, is that a woman manipulated in this way can end up not just being hurt, but badly used. With enough such experiences, she can lose her personal boundaries and sense of self. One thinks for sure she will not be happy. Most of those who suffer depression due to romantic involvement are women. When it comes to relationships, women are simply more likely to get hurt. That undoubtedly is one reason why in the world's major religions, physical intimacy is reserved for marriage, where it is not only permissible and beneficial, but also sanctified. It's kadosh. In Jewish thought, as Herman Walk, who was a great writer and a great author, wrote in his popular book, This is My God, what in other cultures has been a deed of shame or a physical necessity or of high romance has been in Judaism one of the main things God wants men and women to do. If it also turns out to be the keenest pleasure in life, that is no surprise to a people eternally sure that God is good. Sexuality is one of God's greatest gifts to us. Anything that's powerful and potentially beautiful must be handled carefully. With the right person, at the right time, physicality can intensify love and sanctify it, which is waiting for it after marriage. With the wrong person, at the wrong time, and even with the right person, it can wreak emotional and spiritual havoc. God designed humans in such a way that touch creates a bond. If you're smart before bonding with someone, you'll make sure that bond reflects something genuine and is therefore one you really want. To gain that clarity, you really have to know who that person is. That requires objectivity. Unfortunately, objectivity comes about as naturally to most humans as waltzing comes to a hippopotamus. Imagine yourself at a party, chatting with two members of the opposite sex. One you find extremely attractive, the other not. You say something and they respond identically. Whose response sounds better? If the mere sight of a good-looking person sends your objectivity out for a coffee break, once you start touching, it steps out for lunch. From that moment on, you see what you want to see. You also don't see what you don't want to see. With an unusual self-knowledge, a young woman can say, once I was physically involved with a guy, my emotional connection to him had me jumping through hoops to tell myself everything was great when the reality was simply not so. While women are most likely to be misled by their emotions, men are most likely to be misled by lust. As a young man, we know said very clearly, when he got physical with a woman, he lost all clarity. I try to make everything work around the fact of how great it felt, he would say. Psychologists call this the pink lens effect, and it's unbelievably widespread. Researchers say it's universal. An incident from some years ago stuck with author Gila Manelson because of what reveals about the delusions physical closeness can create. She writes, I considered applying after college to graduate school in psychology. My uncle, a therapist, invited me to gain a first-hand glimpse of the profession by participating in a group therapy session that he was leading that night. Much of that evening focused on a woman of about 25 as she poured out her painfully conflicted feelings about her boyfriend. 
Sometimes she says he treats me great, and sometimes he treats me like garbage. She explained through her tears. I know I love him, but half the time I'm so angry at him. One day I think we have such a wonderful thing going, and the next day I want to break up and never see the guy again. Clearly this guy was not so lovable, and the relationship not so wonderful. But no one had the courage to tell her. Finally my uncle, the psychotherapist, spoke up. This guy's poison for you, he told her straight out. Can't you see that? Taken aback by my uncle's forcefulness, she immediately reacted. But sometimes it feels so good, so right being with him. Listen to everything you said, my uncle persisted. This is not what we call a good guy or a healthy relationship. She looked at him uncomprehendingly. But I feel so close to him and connected to him. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what happens when oxytocin is released in the bloodstream and physical touch starts to take over. You lose all your objectivity and neutrality. In short, she couldn't see the truth. She couldn't hear the truth. She sensed something was wrong, but she couldn't see how wrong. People become so enmeshed in unhealthy relationships for countless reasons. One huge complicating factor is the early introduction of physical involvement. As soon as such closeness occurs, that all-too-familiar rose-colored cloud descends, enveloping everything in the warm glow of feeling close, which is not the reality. Once this bonding takes place, you can kiss much of your perspective goodbye. By the time this woman had detected serious flaws in her boyfriend, their physical connection had left her so emotionally attached to him that she could no longer step back and see reality. Physicality can blind you. Physicality will blind you, but not forever. For the rose-colored cloud eventually lifts and illusions dissipate, as we're about to illustrate in the following story. Suddenly you'll be looking into the eyes of Mr. or Miss Wonderful and seeing them clearly. So... She writes, I once visited a relative who had recently married a man she'd been with for two years that she lived with. And she looked utterly depressed. I don't think my marriage is going to last, she told me, sadly. Oh no, I explained, but you've been married only three months. What could you possibly have discovered that you didn't know the whole time you were living together for two years? She sighed deeply, I just don't think he's intellectual enough for me. Don't you, do you want a misguided relationship to influence your choice of residence, college, lifestyle, or even for life goals? People will move thousands of miles away from family and friends, not attend the best schools they could, or give up their peaceful contrary life, country life rather, for the boredom of the country, just to be with Mr. and Mrs. or Miss Wrong. When the blinders come off, they realize they compromise their dreams on behalf of a relationship that could never have lasted, all because they allowed physical touch to run the relationship, and as a result, they can destroy their lives forever. Being in touch with reality is crucial when you're getting to know someone you might end up spending a serious portion of your life with. Whether or not you ever marry that person, your feet have to be firmly planted on the ground, not three feet above it, and your head must be in this world. Fostering illusions is foolish and dangerous. If accessing this reality precludes physical involvement, that's certainly better than involving yourself with the wrong person based on a fantasy that will destroy your life. Let's have a little story. Andy's story. Andy, a college football player, and yes, there are Jewish football players out there, <clears throat> and I discussed saving touch for marriage. He impressed me as being far more intelligent and sensitive than your stereotypical jock. One afternoon, a few weeks later, Andy showed up at my door. I feel like I owe you a visit, he began, looking serious, because something amazing has happened to me during this past two weeks, and it's got, not, it's got to do with what we were talking about. This sounds intriguing. Let's hear about it. First of all, Andy said, in case I didn't tell you, everything you said about reserving touch for marriage makes so much sense. Of course, I wasn't exactly ready to put into practice, but I admit I heard the logic of it. 
And then he took a deep breath. Anyway, a couple of weeks ago, I happened to meet this girl named Lori. She had become religious a few years ago. She seemed very bright and friendly. And somehow we started talking. I was very impressed with her. We ended up talking for two hours. It was great. We really connected. Now I got to tell you something. I wasn't even interested in this girl at first. To be honest, her looks didn't do much for me. I couldn't even tell what she looked like under that baggy skirt that she was wearing. But I really liked her as a person. Because she was religious, there was no physical contact at all. It was weird to me not to be able to touch her, even casually. But I respected where she was coming from. Anyway, we got together the next day and spoke some more for about six hours about all kinds of stuff. And also the next day and the next day and the next day after that. Two weeks have gone by now and we, and we spent, I don't know how many hours together. Saturday night, we stayed up till five o'clock in the morning just talking and being with each other. And still neither of us wanted to stop. All this time, I swear I haven't so much as touched her hand. You know, he continued with just the faintest tinge of embarrassment. I'm not bragging or anything, but I'm considered a pretty good catch. I've always gone out with a lot of really attractive women. Basically, whomever I wanted. You should have seen my last girlfriend. She was a true knockout. I probably don't have to tell you that my relationships were not exactly hands-off. I suppose most of them also weren't so deep. But now, for the first time in my life, the exact opposite has happened. Like I said, in the beginning, I didn't find this girl particularly attractive. It was her mind and personality that I was taken with. But now, I'm crazy about her looks too. Here, let me show you a picture of her. I carry it with me all the time. Isn't she cute? Andy withdrew a photograph from his shirt pocket, gazed at it with feeling, and handed it to me. It featured a smiling girl, average in appearance. She's cute, I agreed. He beamed, glancing at the picture again before returning it to his pocket. But that's not the main thing, Andy continued, pausing as if he himself needed a moment to digest the realization he was about to share. What's really incredible is that I've never respected a woman so much in my life, and I've never felt so much for anyone in such a short time. I can honestly say I love her. I know he hastened to add, not wanting to lose credibility. It must be nothing compared to the love you feel after being married for a few years. But still, he said, leaning forward, there's no question in my mind that this is not infatuation because it's built on substantial building of a relationship based on communication and solid values. It's the real thing. And I still don't know what she looks like under her clothes. And I don't even care. Wow, I marveled. Another big time player bites the dust. I just wanted to tell you all this, Andy concluded, because I'm blown away. There's something powerful going on here. What do you call it? Cherishing touch? Well, I'll tell you, this stuff is the strongest love potion around. You should bottle it and you should sell it. Welcome to the world of true love. Angie, true love isn't I love the pleasure I get from you. True love is I love you because of who you are. This is the nature of an enduring bond and beautiful relationship between a man and a woman. Since one's essence doesn't usually change or die, neither will that love. Let's look at some of the language used to describe the feeling a dating couple may experience at the start of their relationship. We may hear people use the phrases head over heels in love, he's the man, or my dream of the my dreams to describe their newest dating interest. Will that couple still be dating in two months' time? In six months? When the relationship is based solely on strong physical chemistry between two people, it seldom endures longer than a few months. And here's the story. Chaim thought Ariella was the woman of his dreams. She had a beautiful figure, long, thick auburn hair, and classic good looks. A natural athlete, she came from a family of sports enthusiasts and loved to play tennis and go jogging with Chaim. She had great taste in clothes and music, and she and Chaim enjoyed planning their dates together. Chaim fell for Ariella the first time they met and could not get over his good fortune in meeting such a fantastic young woman. 
After dating a few months, it was clear that Ariella was strongly attracted to him as well. And they started to talk about how they envisioned their future together. Ariella talked solely about the city in which they would live, the type of house she wanted, how she wanted to furnish their first apartment, and where she wanted to go on vacations together. Chaim began to realize that he and Ariella wanted very different things out of life. Where was the depth? It wasn't there. He was so disappointed she was so, so shallow and wondered whether he'd be happy being married to her. After a few more dates, Chaim admitted to himself that despite his strong initial feelings for Ariella, he could never see her as a lifetime partner and as the mother of his children, and he quickly ended the relationship. The strong initial attraction which Chaim felt for, felt for Ariella can be described as physical chemistry. Two people can intuitively feel a strong emotional or physical bond even before they know each other much or know anything about their interests or beliefs or personalities. At the beginning, a relationship based solely on physical chemistry may burn with intense emotional and physical desire, but unless the couple develops and builds on substantial foundation, the chemical bond will dissolve within a short period of time. Too often, couples who rush into an engagement or marriage at the beginning of an intense physical chemistry relationship later realize that they have very few common interests or goals. A strong, loving relationship be it at the stage of serious dating, engagement, or marriage, develops gradually as the couple becomes more aware and learns to appreciate each other's characters and personalities. Although a relationship based solely on physical chemistry cannot survive in the long run, a relationship in which both of the parties feel a mutual attraction for each other has a greater likelihood of becoming a permanent one. There's a big difference between a relationship in which the parties are attracted to each other and a relationship based solely on chemistry. A woman who's attracted to her, her suitor customarily likes one or more of his qualities, such as the way he smiles, the intelligent look of his eyes, the way he treats her like a princess on the dates, his easy way of talking on the telephone, his offbeat sense of humor. These are the things we're looking for that create attraction or a variety of other purely subjective mannerisms. Similarly, he may enjoy her ability to hold her own in a political discussion and the sound of her laughter, or he may think she has lovely features. Unlike a relationship based purely on physical attraction, which starts off very intense and cools quickly as the parties become aware of the other person's flaws, the attraction a couple feels for each other frequently grows as the relationship deepens. The man and woman begin to build feelings for each other as they communicate and they build emotional connection. As they continue to date and find out details about each other's personalities, backgrounds and future expectations, as a relationship matures, the qualities which first attracted the partners to each other, may, <clears throat> may, uh, many of which have often been a physical element, take on less importance. You don't care about that superficial stuff as much as you used to when you first met. Some people may find it difficult to allow themselves to build... Can you check the telephone? Some people have, may find it difficult to allow themselves to build on the attraction they initially feel for the person they're dating. And there may be a number of reasons for that. Here's a story. Leora, age 32, and Yonatan, age 34, had just begun dating. And things were going well between both of them. As older singles, each of them had been dating for a number of years and experienced a number of disappointments. They both enjoyed their dates and found they shared, they shared similar goals for the future. Leora was attracted to the way Yonatan's face lit up when he smiled, and she was intrigued by the way he was able to balance his full-time learning schedule with a part-time computer programmer. Job. Leora went to counseling because she felt that Yonatan was the right guy for her and could not understand why didn't she feel quote-unquote in love with him. 
Leora also wondered if there was something wrong with Yonatan because he had been single for so long without considering that she herself was close to Yonatan's age, that she wasn't any different. With the therapist, Leora first explored her own background. Leora had been raised in a yeshivish home but had a number of questions about her beliefs as a young adult and spent much of her early 20s finding herself. When Leora was in her late 20s, she dated a young man whom she thought was wonderful. The couple became very serious about each other and discussed their upcoming engagement. Then almost overnight, Leora's intended became very cool towards her and abruptly, abruptly broke off the engagement. Leora was devastated and found it difficult to date anyone seriously for fear that she would be rejected by the next, next prospective suitor. In therapy, Leora was able to admit her fear, acknowledge her anger towards the young man who had rejected her, speak about her disappointment, and realize that this was the reason she'd been afraid to let herself be attracted to Yonatan and feel of him. She was holding herself back. This often happens after being rejected. After she realized that she'd been unconsciously holding back from feeling more for Yonatan for fear of getting hurt, Leora began to view him completely differently. She realized she enjoyed more and more things about, about him and that she was beginning to fall in love with him. The couple has now been married for over 10 years and Leora says Yonatan is the husband she's always dreamed of. In successful relationships, attraction is the starting point from which couples build affection for each other. Looking forward to the next date with a suitor. Oftentimes I ask people that I counsel and that are my clients who come to me in the middle of the relationship, are you looking forward to it? Do you think about him? Do you eagerly wait for the phone to ring from him or her? Hoping he's at the other end of the line when the telephone rings. Feeling intellectually stimulated during discussions together and feeling proud to be seen with him or her in the public. are All indications that you're attracted to the person you're dating and there's something special building in this relationship. That's what you're looking for. Sometimes it takes a while for you to realize that you're attracted to a person, and sometimes it takes a while to realize that you are not. Evie, a gifted and extremely attractive teacher, had no shortage of men calling her for dates. At age 24, she had been introduced to dozens of eligible men, but had never wanted to go on more than two or three dates with any of them. That is until Ephraim came along. Evie actually went on a third date with him, and then a fourth. Yet she wondered, what was it that she saw in Ephraim that made her agree to continue dating him? She said to herself, am I so dead inside that I can't feel anything? Evie would not allow herself to believe that she was incapable of feeling affection. She decided that she must be unconsciously holding her emotions in check because she was afraid to make a wrong decision about Ephraim. After promising herself that she would take the relationship with Ephraim one step at a time and would not rush into any commitments, simply because they were expected of her, Evie tried to focus on those aspects of his personality and appearance that she liked. His deep, warm voice was very comforting and he had the most beautiful eyes. She liked the way his face seemed to light up when he saw her. Evie admitted to herself that she did find Ephraim attractive and that she would not be afraid to continue dating him. She let herself go. Evie and Ephraim have been now married for more than 15 years. Shoshi had all the characteristics Yitzchak had hoped his future wife would possess. She was a true balas chesed, someone who loved to do kind acts. Her chosen career as a physical therapist for children was a small indication of her commitment to helping others. In addition, Shoshi exemplified extraordinary qualities of character. She also loved working in the kitchen, and Yitzchak had tasted the delicious results of her baking skills. Convinced that Shoshi would be a perfect wife, Yitzchak began to talk with her about marriage. When they discussed their wedding plans, Shoshi talked about their marriage and how it enabled them to fulfill several mitzvot. With a jolt, Yitzchak realized that Shoshi and he were looking at an impending marriage as the opportunity to fulfill obligations, and that each of them saw the other as meeting all the qualifications of an ideal spouse, except one. Yitzchak was not attracted to Shoshi. Yes, she was very nice. And yes, she would help build a good Jewish home. However, Yitzchak never anticipated their dates with excitement, 
Never daydreamed about their life together. Never thought about it. Never gave a second idea to it. Never longed for her company to see her when they were apart. These are all big red flags. Many people feel a pressure to please parents or teachers or friends or society by dating someone to whom they are not attracted to simply because he or she meets the qualifications of a wonderful spouse on paper. But it takes more than that. However, we don't marry a character study. We don't marry a case study. We marry a living human being. Marrying a shidduch who possesses all the right qualifications may result in a workable marriage partnership and in time the couple may develop an affection for each other. But more often than that, one of the partners may feel that something is missing and this may mar their long-term happiness. Other times the couple may find it difficult to face a stressful situation or God forbid a tragedy because they lack a strong emotional connection to each other. I see this quite often when I receive calls from people who are married that need help in Shalom Bayes to tell me, I never felt an attraction, never felt a commonality, I never felt that strong kesher, that strong bond that my friends have described. Unfortunately, many such couples who after, even after several years after their marriage are faced with these trials end up divorce, divorcing because they didn't develop that connection, that true love, that true longing. In this day and age, when religious couples don't date as long as secular couples and have limited experience in interpersonal relationships because they date solely for the purpose of marriage, taking the time to get to know each other is an absolute must. Don't rush it. Above all, every dating couple needs to spend enough time together to learn about each other, to begin to develop affection and admiration for each other, which comes through communication. This is one of the things I help a lot of people with. I train them in communication these days, especially where the paradigm has shifted to video dating. I do a lot of work with people, training them how to communicate, how to ask questions, how to answer questions, what to talk about. And since none of us is perfect to appreciate that the other may have a flaw or two. I always tell people we need to have a top 10 list of needs and you, if there's something that's a flaw with the other person, do a cheshpin, do an accounting. If the positive outweighs the negative, then it looks good. Unless there's one of the negatives that's really digging under your skin and you can't seem to forget about it. At that point, you need to reach out to a dating mentor or to a Rava Rebetzin to help guide you through that one. Now, you can't just get it accomplished and, and get engaged after a few dates. When you start seeing a new person, most people make an effort to give a good first impression by putting on their best foot forward. It's not until they feel comfortable with the person dating that they begin to reveal a little bit more about themselves and expose their vulnerability. As a couple learns more about each other's personalities, aspirations, life experiences, families and friends, they may develop a foundation on which they can strengthen their attraction to each other. On the other hand, they may find that each of them is dating someone who may be very pleasant, but for whom they don't feel a strong enough attraction to want to marry. That's why you've got to take your time and reach out for help to someone a mentor, a guide, if you have any questions or you need help and direction. Some people are too quick to rely on their first impression of the person they're dating. There are times that the first impression that you sense about a shidduch is correct, but as you get to know the person, or as a, as a woman gets to know a man with whom she had a wonderful first few dates, she may see that he's well-suited for her as she first believes, and their feelings for each other grow stronger. Many times, however... The couple only begin to feel affection for each other after they've dated for a long enough period of time to learn about each other through discussion, observation, and shared expectations. Here's a story. On their first date, Fagy felt that Mark was a little coarse in his manner and speech. wasn't refined enough for her. And she was afraid that he would be too crude for her Midwestern sensibilities. Yet he told funny stories, and he was a great mimic. And Fagy decided that since she had fun at their first meeting, I'll see him again. At the second date, she enjoyed it, which led to a third date and a fourth evening together. Feige saw that once Mark became more comfortable with her, 
his brash behavior was more subdued. She realized that actually he was a person who loved to do acts of kindness, a Baal Chesed, who used his outgoing personality to encourage his friends and other people to become involved in a variety of Chesed projects. Deep down, he was a good guy. She took the time to get to know him without rushing into it and just rejecting him. Slowly, Figgy realized that this gregarious, loud, boisterous guy was the person with whom she wanted to spend the rest of her life. Another woman may slowly discover that the man who has taken her breath away has serious character flaws that either she, that she did not see at the beginning or overlooked. Or perhaps he has a vision of the future that's so different from her expectations or dreams or has a lifestyle personality that clashes with her desires. There are also instances which fortunately are rare when a woman will learn that the beautiful person that she's engaging with is actually cruel or manipulative or battles a personality disorder, or suffers from a mental illness. This happens quite often, that things become revealed. Unfortunately, there are some troubled souls who make an extreme effort to hide their difficulties and their problems from their prospective spouse. I've had these issues. I deal with people who've gotten divorced after three months, five months, six months, and I'm trying to get them remarried because they discovered an incredible flaw that somehow went completely undetected while they were dating. Sometimes the difficulty is one that can be overcome, and should be shared so the couple can work through their relationship. There are times though that we may encounter a troubled person whose deep dark secret is a severe personal problem that cannot be resolved by love and understanding. In either case, it's difficult for most severely troubled, most severely troubled people to hide their real personal difficulties for a prolonged period of time because eventually the truth will come out. Every person who's seeking a marriage partner, whether you come from a yeshivish background, a Hasidish background, a modern orthodox background, a liberal background, must allow themselves a sufficient amount of time to get to know the person who they are considering as a serious prospect for marriage. The length of time a couple needs may differ in relation to your religious outlook. Some people go shorter, some people go longer. A more modern couple may want to date for several months before they feel ready to become engaged. More traditional yeshivish couples become engaged after a short dating, shorter dating period. Over the past few years, however, many rabbis have stressed and recommended and now insist that every couple go on a minimum number of dates before becoming engaged. We realize that couples cannot rely on common culture anymore or goals or beliefs and lifestyles as a glue to cement their marriage and enable them to withstand the cultural, social, and material pressures of our modern life. Where once we lived in shtetls and we were able to rely on our common cultures, we just can't do that anymore. We live in a Western society and, and unfortunately the pervasive influence has wreaked havoc even within our own circles. We've got to take our time, do diligence, ask the proper questions, get the direction and, and guidance that we need to make sure we do this right because we, don't want to, we do not want to become a divorce statistic. Our global Orthodox community is much more culturally, socially and philosophically diverse than it's ever been before in the history of the Jewish world. And most couples cannot innocently assume anymore that they're well suited for each other simply because they share a common religious background and are fond of each other. We've got to do due diligence and research. 
They must have enough opportunities and enough times in dates or in video dates and discussions and research, but especially to take the time to get to know each other and build that emotional connectivity so that they show that the decision that they make is the right decision. It was an honor and a pleasure to give this presentation, and I'd like to wrap it up by saying to anyone who needs me out there for help in dating or relationships or shalom bias help of any kind, or if you'd like to help me uh, get my help and analyze a, re- a dating relationship, or you need help in terms of getting a shidduch as a shatchan, you can reach out to me anywhere in the world, 305-206-1916, WhatsApp or text is usually pre- best preferred to get hold of me, and then we'll make an appointment to speak to you. Have a wonderful day, and please stay safe. All the best. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.